Yay Networks. Hello and welcome to the Evil Lawyer's Guide to Life. I am the Evil Lawyer and you are not. Way back when, in the almost before times, on March 27th, 2020, we recorded a show about how the virus was a Chinese bioweapon. And since I get so many emails about that right now and people that apparently don't want to dig through my back catalog and listen to the show, I edited it down a little bit. And this is an encore presentation of our show recorded in early March and played uh, first broadcast on March the 27th, 2020, regarding how we were able to find out using the interwebs and a lot of a lot of research went into this show that COVID-19 was not a natural occurrence almost a year and a half ago. Enjoy. Let's get back to China. First of all, let's put aside the fact that they're trying to get us to believe that this came from people eating bats. It didn't come from people eating bats. People have been eating bats forever. People have been eating civet cats forever. People have been eating whatever they can jam in their face forever. This didn't come from that. So don't believe it. Or you can believe it. And those of you who sent me a bunch of hate about me calling it the Chinese virus, Chinese virus, Chinese virus, Chinese virus. I hope you just had a stroke. But back to China. Uh, China was victimized by Japan. They were on the receiving end of germ warfare from the Imperial Japanese Army's Biowarfare Unit 731 during World War II. And as a result of that, when the war ended, if not shortly before, but around 1944-1945, China began developing their own bioweapons. Remember that date, 1944-1945. We're going to call it 1945 just for the hell of it. We'll call it 1945. China started their own bioweapons program. At the time, China did not have the technological or financial capability to go for nukes, so they went heavy into bioweapons development in 1945. In August of 1951, Chinese Premier Zhu Enlai, Enlai, whatever, someone will correct me, set up the Academy of Military Medical Sciences, a bioweapons division of the, of the Chinese People's Army. 1951, notice that date. In 1951, they admitted that they were working on bioweapons, but they started working on them in 1944, 1945. In 1957, we had the Asian flu. No idea where it came from. Well, we know where it came from. It came from China. This was the H2N2 variant. I'm not going to edit that out. Sometimes I F up. This is the H2N2 variant. It was comprised of different genes from an H2N2 virus that originated from a bird flu. Notice it was comprised of three different genes that originated from bird flu. This came out of the same area in China where there were were the AMMS that I spoke of earlier that began in 1951. The Academy of Military Medical Sciences was operating. The 1957 Asian flu hit 
Asia in February and April of 1957 and hit the United States in the summer of 1957, killed 1.1 million worldwide and 116,000 in the U.S. And I bet none of you have ever heard of it. Ask your grandparents. Some of them were still around back then. That's the first rattle out of the box from the Academy of Military Medical Sciences was a genetically engineered flu in 1957. There was never, if you try to find it um, on the interwebs, good luck, because I use search engines that are not Google, and I can't even find much information about this disease that killed 1.1 million worldwide and 116,000 of our fellow Americans. So if your grandma died in 1957 and she had the flu, thank the Chinese bioweapons program. And before you say it, don't email me about me being racist against Asians or Chinese because I'm not, okay? I do not like what their government does and what their government gets away with and what they've been getting away with since the 40s. Some of this slowed down when China got the bomb. And you can look at the gaps here. There's a 10-year gap between this one and the next pandemic. And then there's another big gap, but that, we'll explain that. But as China began to become a nuclear nation, a lot of this stuff dropped off. So basically what they were doing is they didn't have the economic resources to build nukes. Bioweapons are cheap. And it, once you've got the research apparatus and the labs in place, you can go for broke. If you don't believe that, watch Breaking Bad. The hard part is getting everything set up. After that, you cook away. Anyway, that's the 1957 Asian flu, which, like I said, was a genetically engineered. And genetic engineering back then, yes, it was very different than it is now. It wasn't using um, various viruses or uh, other, other means to actually manipulate the genes directly. It was done the same way farmers have done genetic engineering for millennia. It was done by selective breeding of certain mutations until you get what you want. It was a lot more ponderous, but, but that's the way it was done. So anyway, uh, 10 years after that, there was a 1968 flu pandemic, also called the Hong Kong flu of 1968, was a global outbreak of a, another bizarre bird flu, which um, originated in China in July of 1968 and lasted until 1970. So, a couple of years there, it, listen to this, killed 4 million people. So, they're, they upped their game. In 1957, they released a, a bioweapon that, a bioweaponized flu that killed 1.1 million. In 1968, they, they got a little better at it, and there's no origin story on what's called A subtype H3N2. I have no idea where it came from or where it came about, except for it did pop up around the Academy of Military Medical Sciences lab, one of the labs, and killed 4 million people. So that's, uh, that's China, 1968. In 1977, we had what was called the Russian flu, yet another avian type A H1N1 virus that started in northern China near one of their labs. Spread rapidly, 
killed mostly children and young adults, hit Russia really hard. Therefore, it was called the Russian flu. It did not come out of Russia. It was assumed that it came out of Russia, out of the Soviet Union in um, 1977, but it was later discovered that it actually erupted in northeastern China near one of their labs. And I do not have a number of dead on the 1977 flu, but from what I've read, it was a little bit milder, um, made everybody really sick, killed a bunch of people, hit Russia really hard, hit the Soviet Union really hard, and a lot of other countries, including the United States, reported outbreaks of it later on in the winter of 1978 during the flu season. This epidemic was almost entirely restricted to persons younger than about 25 years of age, which is unusual for a flu uh, unless it's been engineered to take out someone's military like Russia's, which is what it did. It, it largely affected school populations and military recruits in Russia and then later on in the United States in 1978. Uh, they never were able to get a vaccine for this in 1978, but they did get a vaccine for it in 1979. And so the flu, if you had a flu shot in 1979, then you were uh, immunized against the AH1N1, which was the, the newest thing to come out of China's labs. And uh, you can tell me I'm full of crap all you want, but we're going to get down to what we're dealing with now. And most of you are going to realize I'm not. Then we got SARS. Uh, SARS was 2002-2003. It appeared in Guangdong province of southern China. Does that sound familiar? Yet another lab site of the military medical sciences, or what I'm going to just refer to because it's easier as the Chinese bioweapons division. Popped up, killed a bunch of people, and disappeared. We have no vaccine for SARS. Uh, SARS is a coronavirus. They switched between 1978 and 2002. They switched from engineering bird flus to engineering of a coronavirus uh, because probably, I would imagine, a coronavirus, because it's the same virus that causes a common cold, is highly infective. And if you've ever been near anyone with a cold, then you know how infective coronaviruses are. Uh, they can live for a long time, as we're being told now by the news. They can live for a long time on stainless steel medical surfaces. They can hang in the air for up to three hours after someone coughs or sneezes. Um, you pretty much spray them everywhere when you're sick. And we're going to talk about that too and how that proves that this is an engineered virus. SARS hit. Canada hard, it hit uh, Vietnam hard, uh, still no vaccine. The World Health Organization, uh, or as I like to call them, the CHO, the Chinese Health Organization, reported uh, about 8,500 cases of SARS and 813 deaths. And if you do the math, that's a fatality risk, according to their numbers, which I don't believe, of 10%. The incubation period for SARS was averaged four days with a range of one to 13 days, but people did not become infective. They did not begin shedding virus, which is the technical term for it, until they showed symptoms. So as opposed to the situation we have now, 
with the first SARS, because we are calling this, uh, the disease is called uh, uh, SARS-2. Uh, well, sorry, the virus is called SARS-2. The disease is called COVID-19. But the first SARS, people became sick and infective at the same time, which is the way respiratory viruses always work. And we're going to talk about uh, some information from a, an epidemiologist that I dug up. That's just basically respiratory virus 101. The way they work is when you get sick, if it's, if it's a natural respiratory virus, when you get sick, you immediately, when you become infected, you rapidly get sick. And by sick, I mean you start sneezing and producing a lot of mucus and coughing. And the reason why is because the virus wants to replicate. In order to replicate, it needs to be transmitted. In order to be transmitted, you need to be coughing and spewing your ass off. That's the way natural viruses work. Unnatural viruses, engineered viruses, on the other hand, are engineered to be symptom silent while they're infective. So you're spreading the virus, but you have no symptoms. Therefore, you're, you're not feeling like shit. You're not staying home. You're walking around. You're talking. You're hanging out. You're going to the bars. You're going to Mardi Gras. You're going to spring break, party, woo. And, you know, during that time with this particular virus, the, the COVID-19 virus, during that time, you are shedding virus at a much higher rate than later on when you get sick. That is a direct opposite of the way natural, not bioengineered, respiratory viruses work. If you don't believe me, keep listening, because we're going to get to that. SARS-1, SARS-CoV-1, as opposed to SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-2, or COVID-19, which is the disease it caused, causes, SARS-1 basically went away in 2003. Except it pops up every now and then, and it's always written off as lab mistakes in Chinese labs, which means it's been popping up since 2003. That's 17 years it's popped up now and then during during. Uh, alleged lab mistakes. And I think they were indeed lab mistakes, but what does this show us? This shows us, from an evidentiary standpoint, that the Chinese were still working on SARS-1, SARS-CoV, which we now call SARS-1 because we have SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19, the thing that's going to kill all of us. Now, the problem with SARS-1 as a bioweapon was it was, it was infective immediately, like like natural viruses are, when you began showing symptoms is when you started transmitting. So you couldn't have a whole lot of sick people who didn't know it walking around spreading the virus. If you look at the viral shedding curve of SARS-CoV-2, which is the one that is killing all of us now, you shed more virus in the first three days when you're asymptomatic than you shed while you're sick. Evolutionarily speaking, that is impossible. Respiratory viruses have to be spread by droplets or if they spread in smaller amounts, they're called airborne, which means tiny droplets, very, very small that can stay in the air for hours. And in this case, they say three hours. The earlier before it was scrubbed from the Internet said six hours that COVID-19 could remain in the air. But now we're settled on three hours. 
for the people that say it's airborne and then the, uh, I guess the people that say it's not airborne have already succumbed to it. In order for a virus to propagate through a population, it has to be spread. The most efficient way of spread is through aerosolization, droplets, and the most efficient way for those to spread is by making you really sick and your coughing, spewing, and sneezing. That is why all respiratory viruses become infective around the same time you get symptoms. Otherwise, the virus would not last evolutionarily speaking because it would be wasting all of its energy and all of, all of your energy because that's what it does. It hijacks, hijacks the cells in your body producing virus that would not be expelled in order to infect other people. A virus's job is to infect as many people as possible. And if a virus is too deadly, it can't do that. And if you want to get further into that, we can talk about Ebola. Ebola is very efficiently spread, but by the time it is shedding virus... The person is too damn sick and they're dying. And that's why it burns itself out so quickly in these little villages and small areas in Africa. If it kills too fast, it'll burn out. If it doesn't kill at all, it's of no use as a bioweapon. But the best bioweapon is one that is asymptomatic for days but has very high viral shedding during those days. And then once you get sick, it doesn't shed that much because there's, there's no need to. You've already infected a bunch of people. That's a terrific bioweapon. That is COVID-19. Now, we have another one that uh, was related, uh, another coronavirus, MERS. MERS is Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. It's another COV, another coronavirus. Mostly, it's affected people in the Middle East. Did appear out of another bioweapons laboratory in China, though. As a five-day incubation period, people don't get sick and they don't start shedding major virus until between 2 and 15 days. At that point, they're already sick. MERS has a case fatality rate of about 35%. I've heard as high as 75%, but we're going to use the liberal media's number of 35%. Both SARS-CoV-1 the original, to what we're dealing with now, and MERS, are classified as Category A bioweapons by the United States State Department. or I'm sorry, the Department of Defense. I want you to remember that. SARS, SARS-1, because now we're dealing with SARS-2. SARS-1 is, is classified as a Category A bioweapon. Will we ever classify COVID-19, the, the virus that causes that, SARS-2, as a Category A bioweapon? I mean, I guess that depends on the politics and how this all pans out. Now we get to the 300-pound the gorilla that's in our rooms right now. Well, if you're in a room with more than just yourself, so I think my studio is safe. COVID-19, which is caused by a virus called SARS-CoV-2. SARS-CoV-2 uh, genetically is so similar to SARS-CoV-1 as to be almost indistinguishable, except for the RNA has been altered in such a way that it does not present symptoms during its most infective or contagious period. 
This is a perfect bioweapon. This is the evidence I was talking about earlier. SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, the one that we're all going to die from now, is related to SARS-1, but for two differences. It has an inverted infectivity curve. That's not the right word. The right word is, is too hard for me to pronounce. It has an inverted virulence curve where the virus shedding is at its highest before the symptoms develop, and it's far less deadly than the original SARS, or what I would call SARS 1.2, or 1.1, which is MERS, which has a huge fatality rate of 35%. This equals more spread. Remember we were talking about Ebola. Um, Ebola is also classified as a Category A bioweapons agent by the U.S., but Ebola is so hot that it kills people. I mean, people are highly infected. You get any, I mean, people bleed from every orifice and they basically turn into a puddle of goo and you get any of that on you, you're, you're, you're next, okay? There have been people that survived from Ebola. I heard a doctor on TV the other day who survived Ebola and who is terrified by the COVID-19, but he was on the news. So consider the source. If it kills you, really fast, you're not going to spread it. I, I said it earlier, I'm going to say it one more time before I get off the topic a little bit. If you want to ensure an effective bioweapon, it needs to spread easily. COVID-19 spreads easily. And I'm using the, the disease name and the virus name interchangeably. Don't call me out on that. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a doctor, but I can read. Um, you want it to spread easily. So you want it to be highly virulent. Highly infectious, highly contagious. Ding. Okay, we'll put a check for highly contagious. COVID-19 gets a check. Actually put a check on a piece of paper. You want it to have an inverted, what I said earlier, you want it to have an inverted infectivity or, or, uh, see, I can't say the word. You want it to have an inverted infectivity curve for virus shedding is at its highest before symptoms develop. So people aren't homesick or in the hospital sick. They're out partying at Mardi Gras on spring break in Miami or South Padre or, you know, whatever, uh, sick. Because that way it spreads a lot more effectively. Ding. But another check by COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. Remember, it's called SARS-CoV-2 because it's genetically almost the same as SARS-1. Okay, remember that. It's just, there's three differences, and that's our three checks. And you want it to be less deadly so that it takes it a lot longer to kill a lot more people. If it's like Ebola and you catch it and walk across the street and drop dead, it's not a very effective bioweapon. So we've got three check marks by COVID-19. SARS had one. We know SARS was created in a lab in China. Uh, We know SARS has been leaked from labs in China off and on since then for the last 17 years. SARS had one of the three. SARS was deadly. But SARS-1 didn't shed virus until after you had symptoms, and it was too deadly. MERS, their second attempt, what I'm going to call SARS-1.1, was far too deadly. Case fatality was, you know, they say 35%, I say 75%. Both of those are ca- classified as Category A bioweapons by the, uh, by the 
the government. And COVID-19, though, ticks all three boxes. It has that reverse curve so that your highest level of viral shedding is before you start showing symptoms. It's highly infective. And it's not so deadly that you just, you know, you, you catch it and you walk across the street and drop dead. So it takes a long time to kill, about 28 days, according to the information coming out of Europe. It takes about 28 days for it to kill you. So you got 28 days to spread it. Now, Ya Zhang Huang, Hong, Yang, this guy from China, <laughs> he's a senior fellow for global health at the Council on Foreign Relations in China. He wrote about a study that uh, conducted by the South China University of Technology that concluded that the novel coronavirus, the China virus, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, whatever you want to call it, probably originated in the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which is a front for the Chinese bioweapons division that I talked about earlier that they started in officially started in 1951 but actually began at the end of World War II as a response to Japan's use of bioweapons against China during the war. Like I said, uh, Mr. Huang Hang uh, Yang, anyway, he's the senior fellow for global health at the Council on Foreign Relations in China has said that the, this did originate at the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which, as I said earlier, it's a BSL-4 lab. It's biohazard safety level 4. That's as high as it gets. That's uh, the one in the movies where you see them walking around with an air hose connected to the great big suit. That's a BSL-4 lab. The only use for a BSL-4 lab is to study bioweapons and things that are really, really hot, like Ebola. A BSL-4 lab is not necessary to study the flu. They're generally studied in BSL-2 labs, uh, which have a much much less PPE or personal protective equipment. Um, phrase everybody's become familiar with right now. And then we get to another doctor. As I was talking about earlier, you want to know where I got the fact that respiratory viruses are best engineered or I would say best evolved. Natural respiratory viruses are best evolved to spread when you have physical symptoms. So the more symptomatic you are, the more you sneeze and cough, the more likely you are to spread an infection. That comes from Dr. Steve Pergam, assistant member of the Vaccine and Infectious Disease Division at Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center. And if he's still alive, director of infection prevention at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. Evolutionarily speaking, natural read that not genetically engineered or bioweaponized respiratory viruses spread when you start having symptoms because the more you sneeze and cough, the more likely you are to spread an infection. Coughs and sneezes spread diseases. When you have one that is at its most infective before symptoms, especially when it comes out of a lab that dates its history all the way back to China's first uh, bioweapons lab, you really have to question your sanity if you think that this came from somebody eating a bat. And as I close, I'm going to go back to my original, one of my original statements. People have been eating whatever they can jam in their faces for millennia. This didn't come from a bat, guys. And with that, have an evil day.